I'm sure she's very judicious and fair in her uh, application of who actually taught that and doesn't, in fact, extend the exceptions to make it the rule and then and then call into question an entire theological uh, tradition and position. I'm sure she doesn't do that. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm the Reverend J.D. Koch here. Without the Reverend Nick Lannon and with the, as, a, as of the time of this recording, faceless to me, uh, Reverend Matt Kennedy of the Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York. Um, so, yeah, we are uh, trying this uh, sans Nick, uh, which will be interesting. And I'm looking at just a black screen, um, which might actually be sort of emblematic of your black black heart there, Matt. That's the <laughs> That's what I'm looking at. So during Lent, you know, no health in you. But um, so we'll see how this works because we wanted to. We knew our listener was and um, outraged um, and and very disturbed last week when we didn't have a podcast. So uh, here we are. How are you doing, Matt? Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. It's been a good. Well, wait a week break. So, but well, speaking I, of a break, I don't know. I mean, I know our listener knows that I love um. Al Mohler's briefing podcast. I mean, you listen to that too, don't you? The briefing? Not every day, but I listen to it, yeah. Well, it wasn't on yesterday, and it was very disconcerting to me because I have a rhythm and a and a, a way of getting to work and getting sort of situated <laughs> for the day that was totally thrown off. And so I ended up actually um, looking on Twitter, and it turns out that Al is human after all and just was too sick to um, – to, do it yeah i did a break and i was like you know i don't think you understand how important this podcast is for my <laughs> my emotional well-being <laughs> now but um were well, y'all doing anything special during lent do you do what we just i asked just because i got we just got through with our um lenten lunch speaking series we'll have to get you down for one that one next year matt but um but it's um and so we just had the reverend the very reverend Dr. Brian Holland, who's the new dean of Trinity, came and spoke on our theme, which is hope in the shadow of the cross. But it's it's been a been somewhat wonderful event, kind of a midweek. Um, I told people it was an opportunity for a midweek um, taking up a little bit something extra during Lent. You know, it's very painless. I mean, we have a very very simple lunch, and of course, no flowers, just some greenery. Um, but it's it's delightful. So I don't know what do you all do during Lent. We nothing. We have to. We have like four Bible studies running during the week anyway, and and four home groups running running during the week, and we have morning prayer every day. So we thought, you know, it's this is people are already kind of overstretched. Um, we have like we have like seventy five percent of our people in a Bible study or mission group or, or home group or other things. So it's a, it's just you know adding one more thing on top of that. Sure. It's yeah. You so do there, I mean morning um, prayer every morning or who who or uh, Zoom morning prayer? Yeah, we do it every weekday anyway. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we don't do it by in person. We do it. And that doesn't um, break the internet. And shut it down. How does the? <laughs> <laughs> we used to do it in person, but then we went. Our new building just wasn't. It was too far away from everyone from where everyone who used to come lives. So we had to do it on Zoom. So. Well, how many people do you? How many views do you get? Well, we do it like it's just in house, right? So it's not like we don't advertise it to the whole all of the ACNA. So, so we get about uh, ten people on uh, a given day. So yeah. it's, not, it's not bad. It's good. <laughs> Well, um, that's enough of the witty banter, I think. Um, huh. We need to turn towards, uh, I can just hear Nick, you know, texting us something about about the timing already. But um, <laughs> but we are going to talk about the things that uh, that everyone else was talking about a little bit after the fact, but there's been some further developments. And if you don't know what I'm, uh, well, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. We're going to talk about that the Gospel Coalition article by, I forgot the guy's name. I should have it Josh up. Josh Butler. 
Josh Butler. Um, why don't you, well, I'll summarize and then you can correct me where I'm wrong, but Josh Butler <laughs> um, uh, posted. So actually I ran into this kind of backwards because the, somebody I follow on Twitter, follow someone else. Anyway, I just ran across uh, this tweet that says my friend Josh Butler has written the book on um, the Christian sexuality that has been long awaited and, you know, run, don't walk. And it's the final, final statement. And as someone with interest in that, <laughs> I started following the link and ended up um, realizing that I, um, thankfully, I think it's because I've muted, or at least I don't have any interest in following most of the um, progressive evangelicals on Twitter anymore. I wasn't aware that people's heads had already been exploded <laughs> by um, the publishing of an article um, and then subsequently, the first chapter of a book that he called, do you remember what the name of the book is? Well, now, uh, no, let me see. I think it's... Um... It wasn't like, you know, um, holy sex or something like that, but it was... It's the beautiful union. How right. God's vision for sex points us to the good, unlocks the true, and sort of explains everything. Right. So this man wrote a book called The Beautiful Union, um, and then he wrote uh, a blog post, and he got... And you're, you and Ann talked about it um, a lot too. But let's just say he took the the bridal uh, bridal imagery of Christ and the church to a um, to the next level. I think uh, it, would, uh, it would be safe to say out of the um, out of Disney movies and into um, sort of more uh, infographic um, health educational uh, <laughs> sort of world because he was he was um, he really pressed the typology. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's get to that first. Matt, I mean, explain you, you did a better job of explaining like what 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 was the what what was the article about and and what were some of the, the re reactions to it? I think it was based in the first chapter of his book. And it, it was it was taking the sexual act within within marriage and taking the biblical typology of Christ and his church or our marriage being a depiction of Christ and his church and and. Uh, reduce not uh, kind of explaining from his perspective how the details, the really graphic details of sexual intercourse within marriage are also a reflection of of the of the union between Christ and His yeah, church. I mean, he used words like penetration and receiving, and you know, um, and I mean, emissions. Yeah, and, and, and the, like, the tip, I was like, okay, this it is was, it was, I, you know, it was it was way. I mean, I, I think everybody tended to agree whether you're a progressive or, or you know woke progressive or conservative that the that topology is pressed too far and that and that it's not it's not the first time that that's been done in church history of course i mean there's lots of lots of uh, yeah bridal christ mysticism things like yeah, that. yeah there's lots lots of that out there but um but it was a kind of a shock i guess for 21st century uh gospel coalition readers to, <laughs> to come across that um, when they click open the, the the link, so so people were were upset, um, and uh, there were calls immediately from the left to take the article down, um, and and there were calls for the right to at least issue some kind of corrective, um, but everyone was upset at first. Yeah, it was it was funny. The first critiques I found of it were from the um, you know saying, of course, these you know hypersexed uh you know evangelical types would write something like this and i thought that was a really well i thought a lot of them were disingenuous and unfair right. but i thought that was really quite ironic given the incredible over sexualization of the culture i mean you have you know you have um we've talked about it before you have 
access to images and videos of of live of real people um you know doing things that were almost unimaginable um except for the dark recesses of of truly depraved hearts um and and so you have that it's just like a mainstream in the water and then you have this guy um venturing into you know which i agree admittedly was a, i think a little bit um oversharing uh, in terms of his uh, <laughs> in terms of his his understanding of christ in the church but um but it was just such a it was such a, a, a lazy and i think um just sort of cheap uh dismissal of the of of the quote unquote evangelical you know um uh blog sphere or whatever by by a lot of these people well right i mean i think i think a lot of the problem was that while we would disagree with the the typology being being expressed to that limit the basic overall structure of of the picture of Christ and his bride is is there and you know other other again other theologians in the past not just mystics but you know people like Martin Luther have pointed out that the conjugal union itself is also in some way reflective of reflective of Christ and his bride and that's not um and that's that's not that in itself is not something to object to but the, the the some on the left, many on the left, uh, well, consider consider I think that typology itself problematic, um, and when and when it's pressed into details with regard to sexual intercourse, they consider it misogynistic because you have uh, the woman being placed in the role of the I guess su submissive church. Um, being, um, <laughs> you kind of watch over. How do we even yeah. express, express <laughs> being being uh, uh, taken by uh, by the male who reflects Christ, and 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 a lot of the people in left are saying that that kind of puts the woman in a position of, you know, being in, in a not coercive, but a, 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 if you are not willing already. To receive your husband in that way, uh, then you are in some way breaking the analogy or breaking the typology, and so and so for them, it represents a kind of the first step toward a more abusive picture of of Christ and His Church in marriage. Huh. I didn't I didn't run run on that uh, run into that um, expressly, although I mean I didn't look very hard, but I but it certainly sounds like um, you know an argument that would be used against it. I mean, Were I, you did you read any of the stuff, but that. Um, Hey, are you familiar with the the Great Sex Rescue by Sheila Gregory? Why I'm not sure how to pronounce. I would pronounce that Gregory. Why did you pronounce it? I heard you and Anne pronouncing it. I, I'm probably mispronouncing. It. I don't mean to, but it looks it's G R E G O I R E. But I I oh, guess Gregory. I'm used to Gregory being pronounced another way, but or, or it's being spelled anyway, a different way. Well, I didn't read the book because it made I I did listen to a couple of podcasts by her and I followed her on Twitter for a while and it was it was. You know, it's funny. It was like the exact uh, it was the exact problem I had with Butler's article I had with her podcast and discussion. There was a point in me. I was like, this is this is entirely too much information that I want to know about someone that I don't know at all. And now I know in ways that I wish I didn't, you know, <laughs> I mean, the 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 great sex rescue book is is like a. Um, you know, it, it reads like the, um, well, at least the podcast I was listening to, it was like the same complaints that you hear people from like the Kinsey Institute making, you know, oh, none of these women knew under understood what sex was or how it worked or what contraception was and all these, you know, wringing the hands of how, well, uh, of how ignorant everyone was, but, but it had to get very graphic and very 
uh, intimate. Um, and it was all with a sort of haughty contempt for, you know, these backwards rubes that never um, really embraced their, you know, their sex positive uh, nature that that any enlightened person would do. I mean, that's that's kind of how the, the, that was the vibe it was giving. I didn't I didn't. I'm not sure. I didn't listen to that podcast, but the the burden of his of her book is that that the the, the, the teaching about sex that the Christians Christian women in particular received in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s from books like Love and Respect and other uh, things put out by Focus in the Family uh, tended to put at least from her her argument is tended to put the onus on the woman for pleasing the man sexually and and. Whether she was whether she wanted to or not, whether she was in fact the, the, there was it was a sin not to um, help your husband in that way. I'm just, I, how do you dance around these things in a podcast without being too explicit? But, <laughs> I can't even uh, see but, your face so, you know, how so, scrunched up and uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, that's right, rough. right. So and so and to the extent that like some of them, I mean, love and respect, for example, uh, does have this one section when it where you know if your husband is, is has committed adultery. You know, uh, yeah, it's his fault. He's a sinner. He's 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 done that. But you know, what were you not doing for him beforehand um, that led him out, uh, led him to to go astray, uh, led him to sin? So there, so there was this kind of what her objection is. There's, there's kind of like this low level or even high level uh, dismissal of 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 male responsibility for their lust for mm. their. Um, for their actions sexually, and that it's kind of up to the female to to give herself over, so that the male doesn't just have to express himself sexually through pornography or through adultery or something else. So, because because the man the uh, men are presented as unable to control themselves sexually, and and um, it's up to the wives to uh, perform and help them to control themselves. And uh, that's that, and I think it's I think it's a caricatured view of. Well, I'm sure she just paints. I'm sure she's very judicious and fair in her uh, application of <laughs> right. who actually taught that and doesn't, in fact, um, extend the, um, you know, the the exceptions to make it the rule and then and then call into question an entire theological uh, tradition and position. I'm sure she doesn't do that. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, did, so I think it's kind of cartoonish. I mean, it's kind of cartoonish in the sense that like you have. So I, I do remember very clearly and I, I read it many times that. that they're there and i've I've counseled people on this like with with when, when i'm counseling people who are going to get married get married i say look you know men and women do have different levels of needs they all have needs for the same things but they they usually prior to prior, prioritize those things in different ways and every human being is different so i'm not saying this is a cookie cutter type description but um but uh, Do we put the, a trigger warning up before you say the next phrase? <laughs> well, the basic the basic dichotomy or basic difference that that love and respect was working with, and again, I don't I don't recommend the book. I I I, I don't I, I don't. But I think this this aspect of it is true. Is that um, is that what the 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 intimacy and the affirmation and the goodness that women feel when they have been heard and listened to in conversation and, and spoken with is the same kind of uh, affirmation and, and, and um, admiration that men feel in through sex. Mm. So, so in counseling, um, I, I would be sure to tell, uh, you know, men, you need to listen to your wives. You need to talk to your, you need to talk to your, you, you can't ignore her. If you do, I mean, you're like setting up your marriage for disaster, right? Now that doesn't mean that if, if, if you're, just a jerk and ignore your wife all the time and she goes and commits an affair that is your fault 
but I mean, but though, but your ignor ignoring of her for a long period of time might might be a contributing factor, not not your fault. It's her, it's her sin. Vice, and the same thing is true with regard to like a woman who just will not have sex with her husband. I mean, his if he goes and has an affair, that's his fault. It's his sin. It's not hers. She's not responsible for it. He did it. But there are contributing factors to it, and that that's kind of what I think the the love and respect book was trying to get at. Although it used really awkward language about it, but uh, but Sheila. Gregory, yeah, Gregoire has taken that language and or taken that that awkward language, and I think she's made a whole cake out of it. And so, and so the um, anything that smacks of a woman being responsible for a husband's or a man or uh, having any kind of role to play in a man's uh, sexual meeting a sexual man's sexual need is seen as kind of misogynistic. And so that's kind of the background. To the, to this to the way the left many on the left heard the the Josh Butler article um that's just contributing to this idea that the woman as as the as a submissive partner is responsible for uh letting her husband uh, or, or giving her husband what he wants as you know Christ as the church I guess um and so it just kind of contributes to this mis- mis- what they call what they would call would call misogynistic narrative. And so they 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 were calling for Josh Butler to be canceled. I mean, just, just well, and that's I think y'all covered that well. But I mean, our listener may uh, have maybe blissfully has blissfully has uh, not uh, been following this. Um, and uh, but he basically was canceled. I mean, he he was. I mean, he was. What I don't know what sort of if there was any financial um, gain to be a know. fellow for the Keller Center. But even if it was just an honorarium, I mean, an an, an honorific, like he's no longer a a fellow there he's i mean i'm i wouldn't be surprised if they don't try to get him out of his church i mean it sounds like he has a, a fairly successful church or you know living vibrant church um and you know there's i mean we don't have a long history of watching people stop um until you know the the bones have been unearthed and burned um if they get a if they get a sense of the the possibility of of um of of getting what they want and in this case you know they want to see this guy um you know, gone, canceled. Yeah, I mean, I I think that they they are they do they do want that obviously, and they were very happy when when uh, TGC finally announced or gave gave its apology. They wrote they wrote an apology. They mentioned that he's no longer one of the Keller Center fellow fellows. This was the first. This is the debut article for the Keller Center, I believe, which is a new apologetics uh, organization that was connected to the Gospel Coalition, um, named after Tim Keller. And uh, so he's this this guy has taken off the off off of the, the group of fellows for that for this new apologetic center. Um, he his the, the post was taken down. At least the link was taken down to the post from the post. People endorsers started removing their endorsement. I mean, everything came crashing down. And I, I mean, as we, as I was mentioning, as Ann and I were mentioning on our podcast earlier this week, is you know you you kind of as a writer depend on your endorsers, you depend on your editor. Like this guy didn't just, this guy's the first chapter of his book wasn't just put up there un, unchecked. Someone had to okay that. And and you as a writer depend on someone checking over your work. And then if there's a backlash, you you expect rightly so for your editors to defend you. Yeah, because that's they, right. they, they put that up there and you, and you expect rightly so for the people who've endorsed your book to to stand by their endorsements because they were supposed to have read it, yeah, right. Yeah, so, yeah. so everyone jumping ship, it was just it was utterly cowardly. It was, it was a terrible display of 
of gutlessness in the face of a woke gold mob, which was really terrible. Yeah, it was really, and and you know, and like all of these things, it was intended to uh, send a message. You know, the next time you want to write a book about something that we may not like, you know, get ready. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think you know, there's people out there. Um, who probably have manuscripts that they are, um, you know, reluctant to to um, to publish because, you know, one, they probably initially were reluctant because they thought they would just get regular pushback. And now it's like, well, you might actually get um, deplatformed and and have your um, publisher and friends, uh, you know, publicly repudiate you, you know, yeah. that's, that's the next yeah. level. I mean, that's why, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, you, you, um, cause you could see, a, you could have seen a scenario where the uh, publishers and the Te- Keller Center said, you know, grow up, we're all adults here. You know, he's writing to a married Christian audience. So if you take, if you, uh, if you, you know, that's trying to deepen their, appreciation of um uh christ you know the bridal mysticism of christ in the church and there's historical warrant for this type albeit it was just as kind of um it, well it could seem as unseemly back then as it does now but get over it i mean that's kind of what you could, yeah. could have seen them say i mean again i wouldn't have read it wouldn't have written it um you know i thought they Anne's point about <clears throat> you know maybe if you had perhaps even considered something like that in the interiority of your mind you know it's probably not probably wasn't you know <laughs> you didn't have to tell everyone that that's how you were <laughs> interpreting christ's <laughs> church um you know although it may have been a perfectly fruitful uh you know intellectual exercise that deepens your appreciation of your own marriage you know or whatever right. but right. i think it was it was just it was this you know twitter and the uh is just such a um, an interesting, uh, I mean, that's to put it mildly, um, sort of means of communication because it's it's so performative and it's so disingenuous and it's so clearly intended to um, to you know there's there's so much clickbait and trolling and all right. of the time like you know collected curated outrage that it's um it's really kind of fun to watch like my favorite meme that always gets put up is you know the Michael Jackson eating popcorn because I just feel like I'm <laughs> watching. Um, the right people get upset and then the people that I like, you know, write or rejoinder and the people that, you know, I'm, and, and it's always the same issues, you know, it's always the same f- fundamental issues, which are ones about which we talk all the time, you know, the, um, you know, the, the sort of is the, the authority of scripture as it has come down to, um, through the tradition, um, you know, of, of the church with respect to delineated roles between men and women, you know, the purpose and place for sex only within marriage, and then the the clear prohibitions of all of the other various, um, you know, quote unquote, identities and expressions. Um, are those binding on modern 21st century people or not? You know, and if they are, well, then we're going to have conversations that perhaps will get a little bit too, um, uh, uh, you know, but we're going to push metaphors a little too, too um, radically, you know, okay, that's fine mm-hmm. but to your point um the fundamental idea is a very christian i mean didn't christian a very biblical one i mean denny burke pushed back on it i think because you know of course the the council for biblical men and women what is it the cbmw that he's a part of that council for biblical manhood and womanhood yeah. and Anne wrote for that i think yep. wrote um you know and uh some some uh, you know really solid people involved in that um, you know, we're getting implicated, of course, because they they still are this um, sort of just like, uh, you know, the big bugabear that everyone <laughs> wants to try to cancel. 
Um, and so he, when he wrote in his response, I, I loved it. You know, he was a little bit like we were, it was kind of like, I really didn't want to get into it because it's hard to even discuss without. Right. right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I like my seven-year-old, I want her listening to this in the car as I'm, you know, trying right. to get on the way home. But at any rate, I mean, his point was apt as it often is, which is that, you know, say what you want about the way the truth with the, this thing was communicated. And, you know, there might've been some lack of wisdom or maybe someone, you know, maybe an editor failed, but at the end of the day, um, the male female imagery, like you said, and the husband wife, um, you know, analogies all through the Bible, and then the various roles and commands and distinctions are 100% biblical. And we cannot, you know, to try to cancel those is in a much different order than to simply say, well, I don't like how graphic this guy got with his with his imagery um and so that's what you know that's what that's where i got kind of back into it because i was like oh, okay well if, you know we can if we i thought we were talking about whether or not you should use the sort of graphic sexual imagery i didn't realize although i should have what you actually were doing was using that as a pretense to talk about the only thing that you think is the problem of the whole world and that is you know patriarchy and misogyny and things right and, right um, it, it was interesting because it used to kind of dovetailed um you know the the modesty debate has taken on a new new flavor than it used to. I mean, it's it's you know, I guess in the past you'd have fundamentalists saying you know, women, women should never cut their hair and uh, their dresses better be to the, the the their ankles and they can't wear uh, pants those kinds of things. But um, but so in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands, there was a new kind of push toward you know the modesty with that it was connected with the purity culture right the um so so the in in the and part of the argument that was made on the part of those within the purity culture was well look you you want to be kind to your brother brothers you you don't want to uh, give in let, ha, enable them to lust so uh make sure you're not wearing something that's too that's too um risky risque i'm sorry uh and so or I risky. think everyone, huh? Or risky. <laughs> risky. Right. So so now, but the problem with that is, is some women heard, I'm not sure how how prevalently it was said, but some women heard, you are to blame for the lust that goes on in young men's hearts. So if you, if, you know, yep. it doesn't matter what you're wearing, you are, you are the one who's responsible for for him having bad thoughts. Yeah. It's just such a, I mean, it's, I, I've heard that. And I think, yeah. you know, it, it, I, I was talking to someone about this the other day, uh, in the rector's forum, I was teaching cause we were talking about the, the gender neutral language in the, you know, the church of England trying to like deep as, you know, take out Lord and take God, God's self and all this stuff. And I was saying, listen, you know, there are there are parts of the Bible that clearly where we use the historic man for meaning humankind. Um, that was the intent of the author, you know, and I'm again, I mean, I'm I'm don't don't cancel me for this, this man. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm but if I were a translation committee, you know, I'd be open to that type of discussion. But then there are all but I'd just be slightly open. But then there are pronouns, you know, most notably for God himself, his father. And then, of course, you know, other aspects of the Bible where it's just simply a a res- residual antagonism that sees this relationship between men and women as a zero-sum game. 
you know, and I said, if you if you find yourself among quote unquote Christians that are perpetuating hmm. this antagonism between men and women, then you know you are not around um, with uh, at least born again Christians. I don't know how else to say it, but like this this is what Jesus came to to reconcile. And so so when it, because you know if you're if you're in a church that all the quote unquote church is doing is making you more aware of how um, how fraught the relationship between men and women has always been and always will be. And, you know, you took this power and you had that responsibility then, well, then you're not, you're not in a, in a gospel believing church. And so to the, to your point though, you know, when I hear people talk about that, I'm like, if you, if you had a son, which I do at three sons and you're sitting there and you, and you hope that they remain in the innocence of their youth as long as, as possible. Although you also are training them to become, you know, your future men and all the things. Well then, you know, you would, it's not like you would, you would shame or scorn, uh, keep scorn on some, um, you know, scantily clad uh, woman around you, but you would, you might want to say, if you were friends with this person, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to raise, um, you know, this eight-year-old boy in an age-appropriate world. And could you help me? You know, could you help me? And of course, you know, the conversation could easily go the other way. Um, if you had a son that was exhibiting behaviors or, or doing mm -hmm. things that were not um, seemingly in any way. And that's what Christian people do to help each well, other. Okay. So, yeah, but part of Gregor, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not trying I to. I don't know what it is either. Name her name. I feel bad. Yeah, if she, if she does thing. happen to listen to this, I'm sorry. I'm not doing this in purpose. <laughs> I just don't I'm pretty sure that yeah. might. Well, I don't think she's knows? probably listening, but if she is, I don't mean to be, but, but, but part of her, her point is that, um, that men have been raised with the, I, the idea that their lust is uncontrollable. Right. So, so they, um, they should be able to control their lust no matter what a woman's wearing. And and so there you don't um and I, she's not the only, the only one making this point. Others are too. Uh but but so so even saying a woman should have to should have to dress in a certain way so as not to evoke lust on the part of a man or a boy is to tell that boy or that man you can't control yourself. Um, which yeah. I think is, I think it's, it's, I don't, I think it's a baseless idea. I mean, it's, um, and it's just so uncharitable and it's like, yeah. you, I mean, maybe she has a son or something. I don't know. Cause why couldn't you say the same you, two things are true, you know, that you have, a, you, that, that there, you know, you have a, we have what does first John said, the lusts of the flesh, the eyes and the pride of life. I mean, this is what we are beset by and different people are, have weaknesses in different areas. You know, not every man has the same set of, of uh, fallen tendencies as another one. And neither does every woman for that right. matter. And so you can simply say, well, here's a, here are general patterns we've observed over, you know, thousands of years of human history where, um, you know, where particular patterns of men's sinfulness and women's sinfulness work their way out. And so we have a mm -hmm. general idea of what we could do if we genuinely loved our neighbors of how to at least help them in what might be a more powerful fight for this guy than that one, but we don't really know. And so, you know, it's just so, it, it's like, I think this is part of the problem with Twitter and and certainly a part of the problem with the um kind of the the sort of non-embodied uh church discussions like because whenever I hear people talk about these hypotheticals or even if they have you know historic um antecedents to or I mean uh, uh they they have historic things they can point to it's like I don't know these people like if someone was in my church 
if someone was in my church teaching the young women in the church that they were responsible for um, the lusts of the of the men and and the boys in the church, well, then I would I would remove them, you know. Or or if I had a father that right. was teaching his sons that, well, you know, you just can't do anything at all, but because um, yeah. you are powerless against your the sins of the temptations that so easily ensnare, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I mean, I just don't. I mean, it's a little bit like we it's, talked about with you know. So those people exist in the minds of formerly Christian people who mm-hmm. need excuses to remain in their unbelief. That's yeah, that's no, there. yeah. And, no, I think it's inhuman too. And just, I mean, the, the reality is that men. I mean, whether no matter how much um, one side of this question would like to face um, human nature as it is, and and, and not uh, human nature is fallen as it is. But but there's also some vestiges of 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 the way God's designed us to be. Um, men are going to be attracted to women who who look a certain way. They're, they're just, that's going to happen. Uh, they that doesn't mean they they have to lust, but they're going to be attracted to that. To that. And on the other side of this, and this has to be recognized as well, um, s- women like to be admired for their looks. That's that's in general. I'm not saying every single woman in the whole world, but in general. Uh, women do want to be desired and looked at, and so you have this kind of you have this this dynamic on both sides that historically Christians have sought to uh, ameliorate ameliorate so that it doesn't break out into massive fire of <laughs> of libidinous uh, lust, you know. And and one one way to do that is to ha- is to teach modesty, and that's of course that's going to change what that what that looks like in every age is going to change. Um, and, and on the other side is to teach self-control, right? So, 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 there's, right. Men, so there's both and not either or, that's right. um, and, and the, and the, the, that's, that's been blown up though. I don't, that, that classic traditional understanding of the way men and women relate to each other, um, is now, is now in the process of being deconstructed, um. I think I don't know. I don't. I don't know that this uh, the person who wrote uh, Gregor or whatever her name is. I don't think that she <laughs> she. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know what her position is on uh, gender identity. I don't know what her whether she, whether she still holds her traditional view of male female um, as givens biologically. Um, I don't know. Her her book has, has to do with heterosexual marriage, and she's been silent on the LGBTQ issues. But the fact that that idea is out there has led to a, de, a, a deconstruction of traditional structures and, and norms when it comes to the relationship between male and female. Um, yep. And 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 that's and that's that's ongoing. That's going to continue. Um, and and the and I think it's the most dangerous thing you can do in a time like this is to write a write is to suggest. That um, that those structures that have been with us for thousands of years no longer need to be uh, observed, um, regardless of whether you're doing that from a, the position of modern gender gender theory, you know, gender theory or not. I don't. It doesn't matter. But but I think it's a kind of a dangerous thing to tell women, oh no, you have no what you the way you dress, the way you act has no bearing on what the, the what men do around you, and or to tell wives, uh, you have no you have you. You have no responsibility um, to your husband sexually, um, it's, and, if, and don't let anyone make you feel like you you should be uh, giving your conjugal rights to <laughs> conjugal rights to him, uh, or or vice versa. You know, and that's 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 either way. I mean, Paul is very clear in First Corinthians seven that within a marriage bond, and this was revolutionary for his time. Um, yeah, the, sure. hus- the husband has has to give conjugal rights to his wife. 
That's that was that's the revolutionary part that Paul gave because everyone recognized the other side of that, which is that the wife has to give conjugal rights to her husband. But but Paul was saying no, this is a mutual a mutual thing that both both partners should be kind to the other in a sexual way, um, and give themselves for the other in a in a in a, a loving relationship, a loving sexual relationship. Well, Paul also, you know, exhorts women to be modest um, yep. and yeah. dress with decency and propriety, um, which you can see why he's he's the um, you know he's the the great monster that must be excised from the <laughs> um, the otherwise loving Bible um, or else. And so it's um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's countercultural um, at the, to to the core. I mean, that's just how it has been in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be. I mean, this is just what um, you know. I think this is part. If we want to transition, um, you know, I would be interested to see what comes of the Heller Center for Cultural um apologetics because you know as 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 we've talked about this a little bit before as big of a fan i am or we have been and respectful of tim keller and his work you know there has been um plenty of discussion of late about um so sort of the developing um sort of methodology that needs to be embraced uh to to confront what we also talked about at length before the this sort of negative world within mm-hmm. which we find ourselves because, you know, I sent you that article, Matt, about um, we don't have to reference it in length, but there's an article that I read read on um, uh, Aaron Wren's uh, Substack that had to do with uh, revisiting the the that book, The Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. Mm-hmm. Did you have a chance to read that? Did you read it? Uh, no, I didn't read that. Uh, well, anyway, the, well, I'll just summarize it for you. It was an interesting juxtaposition or it was, it was dovetailing with the discussion about the sort of winsomeness debate. Because Steve Knowles, uh, was it Steve Knoll? Yeah, Steve Knowles' article on um, uh, the did you ever read the scandal of the uh, sorry Mark Knoll the scandal yeah, of the, did you ever read it? Yes, I read it, but yeah. it was like twenty years ago. I read it, so. Yeah, thirty years ago now. So there was an essay on it. I was given it too, um, and it was it was heralded at the time and is often re- remarked uh, about that it was the um, you know th- that that was the great problem for the evangelicals is that we weren't we weren't we weren't intellectually engaged. We weren't culturally engaged. You know, we had sort of ceded the ground of the culture to the to the um, uh, unbelievers, and so therefore we weren't taken seriously in the academy. We weren't taken seriously in the arts and sciences and all these various things. And so this guy was simply saying, "Well, let's look at how that strategy worked," because there was a generation of people, and I would consider myself at least on the the, the younger end. I mean, it was thirty years ago, so I was in I guess I was what I was in tenth grade or something like that, or ninth grade. Um, but I did read it in college, so it was, so it was shortly after it came out. Um, and I remember I was being very um, influenced by that and by Tim Keller, mm-hmm. for that matter, at the time. You know, I said, well, if I could get a Ph.D., if I could, um, you know, if I can go to the right schools, if I can be published in the right places, if I can, you know, read the, you know, I remember I, I was like suffering through the Criterion collection, you know, the uh, the the front when um, Netflix used to marry, uh, send you the videos uh, the Criterion Collection is like the the sort of art house films, not just art house, but a lot of art house that um that the you know the cultured elites have decided are the mm-hmm. are the, the the best movies of all. And I remember, you know, all I really wanted to do was keep watching like Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore and um <laughs> yeah. you know like Talladega Nights, <laughs> and yet I was like chewing through these um because I wanted I bought into it. I mean, and I don't think it was an entirely wrong idea. 
But the the idea that if I could get cultured enough, sophisticated enough, educated enough, sort of winsome enough and sophisticated enough, then somebody would sit down and listen to me, explain to them why, um, but for the grace of God, they were going to be separated for all eternity in hell um, apart from <laughs> uh, from from Jesus, you know, and and so, and of course, we've talked about this also, but also at a time, but it seems to be more and more people are waking up to um, not just what we've seen, but 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 certainly what we've experienced, which is that that's just an impossibility. And so this sort of cultural winsome apologetics, this this um, this sort of um, you know let's let's win the right to be heard, all of these sort of mantras that have that have been part of our water for for decades are being exposed as um as as impossibilities and it's it's a little bit like this reaction to Josh Butler is showing is showing that because it wasn't even the objectable the 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 sort of objectifiably objectionable parts of his article that people rejected they rejected the entire um underlying to use Al Mohler's word worldview you know i mean right. the, the and so I thought it was interesting this, in this article about the evangelical mind, he said, well, where have we gotten, you know, we've gotten uh, Christian, quote unquote, Christian cultural elites. And he most notably pointed to Francis Collins, you know, who, um, you know, has been sort of compromised with respect to um, fetal, uh, you know, yeah. stem cell research and and fetal baby parts. And, you know, as part of BioLogos and all these various things, which um, which, you know, have, so I guess the question was begged was which culture influenced, uh, who's more dramatically. Right. And I think that's what we're looking at in all of this. Like even the discussion, I know we've talked about it before about, about, um, sex in, in public at all. It's like, it's like, what sort of conversations around the dinner table do some of these <laughs> people have? It's like, I, I know more about what, what random people, random quote unquote Christian people on the internet, uh, what where they desire and what they desire and how often they desire it than I ever wanted to know in my in my life. Right. It's like, you know, so right. what culture is influencing who? It's like a culture where it was unseemly to even, um, you know, show a um, a married couple in uh, the same bedroom on TV. You know, uh, right, has right. switched to where we are now. And anyway, I just think. I it mean, was, yeah. I think sorry. I think the whole I think the whole project of uh, regardless of whether we're in neutral world or negative world or positive world it, it it i think all of those were kind of a surface surface descriptions of, of culture and, and i think aaron Wren, i mean that's what they they're supposed to be there's just surface descriptions of a cultural stance toward um toward toward christianity but in reality, though, regardless of what the surface is evincing, whether it's evincing friendliness toward the faith or hostility or somewhere in between, uh, the New Testament is really clear that, that that the human heart by nature is hostile toward God. That's right. So even if the, even if the culture happens to be more friendly at a certain time, you're still really ultimately, when it comes to matters of converting the heart, you're still always in negative world. You're you're always there, even if even if the culture is friendly toward you bringing that does not mean it's going to be any easier to coax or persuade a person to believe in Jesus because that's, that's right. always impossible you're, you're never going to be able you're never going to be able to do that but Matt if, if you don't if you if you if you keep playing that organ then you're just going to get their hard cold hard hearts right, only right, further right. hardened right There's no I mean, possible <laughs> way to sing uh with an organ w without the young people just freaking out and leaving your church you so. know what we should do is you put like a bench like right in the front of our church and then if anyone's feeling like really anxious about their salvation <laughs> that's right, that's we right. should invite them to come sit in the bench and we could just like you know talk to them about 
hell. And yeah, I think you're right. I think we could, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but so, but no, that's been, I mean, I think the whole project of, of winsomeness and, um, I, I guess my question has always been, what's the point? What's, what are you ultimately trying to do? Are you just trying to win a nicer atmosphere? Because you're really not going to win anyone over by that. And, 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 the, and, and that's what surprised me about Tim Keller being kind of behind this movement is because he's reformed. You know, he, he knows, he knows that he knows where, well, I don't know. I mean, to, to his defense, I mean, he's very sick and I'm not sure how much he's like actively. Oh no, I don't think he's behind the, the center, but, but the winsome, Oh, right. Approach. The yeah, because, approach. you know, well, you notice because right. he's the one. Remember when he got that award? I don't know. It wasn't that long ago at Princeton. And there was like a protest because he was um, he's still a complementarian. You know, I mean, the PCA yeah, is yeah. still a complementarian denomination. And his that report, I think I read it. I thought it was really well done. I mean, at the report on um, uh, I forget what it was called, but essentially it was about the role of men and women in the church. And, um, you know, and so he's very he's still um you know, he's got that edge to him, which I'm grateful for, because yeah. I think, you know, that at least keeps him from, um, well, well, you have to deal with that if you're going to be winsome, you know? So I want, I mean, that's what I tell people all the time, like go into, <laughs> go try to be winsome, you know, in a, um, you know, like a, a gender studies class that has uh, by, by, you know, by advertisement um, already said that the, you know, we're d- demolishing the binary binary and that any, any, sort of talk of men and women as patriarchal um, as, as essentially, you know, men and women, and then just go try to sort of sit down and kindly um, get your viewpoint across. Like it's, it's, you know, you'd like to think that was something that could have happened. It certainly could have happened when I was, it did happen. You know, people disagreed about things when I was even in college, but you see these videos going around and you hear stories and, and you look at the, you look at the fear in people's faces, you know, I mean, I, 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 I explain to people that this is sort of the, um, the world that they're look, looking out into and that these are some of the positions that we have um, as Christians are not really have, we don't really have an option to not defend. I mean, that, that male and female are essential categories of created order that um, reflect the image of God. Now, you know, gender and cultural aspects of that go and change, but fundamentally, biologically, uh, um, and ontologically and all the other ologic keys, um, mm-hmm. they, um, they, they, they're essential to our, to our understanding of, of who God is and what reality is for that matter. And so, you know, that when you begin to tell people some of these non-negotiables, I can tell that they're, you know, sort of disappointed or if not, not disappointed, but frightened, you know, I don't want to be canceled. I mean, who wants to be called a misogynist or who wants to be, you know, have their book rescinded? I mean, I feel, yeah. for, um, this poor guy's family, you know. Well, I think that was always behind the removal of all of the endorsements in the in the camp. I mean, I think people were genuinely genuinely afraid of having their name associated with this book because they because they want they want to have careers too. Um, yeah, I wish but, someone like I wish they're like Canon Press or someone would pick it up and publish it. Yeah, that, that would be that's that what would we were. I mean, that's what, a, that would be. <laughs> I think that's what the kids would call based, right? That would be right. Uh, that right. would be Josh Butler has these little eyes, you know, shining right red eyes. I mean, I don't agree with the article, but I, but I, I thought it was too, too in depth. But yeah, some, but I, I agree with that. I mean, I think, I think. That yeah, I'm intrigued. I kind of want to read more. There needs to be cancel immune systems set up so that, right, and, and uh, Doug Wilson, regardless of what you think of him, has done that. He's 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 got his own press. He's got the, a, a congregation that supports him. He's got his own. School college and universe and uh, university or i mean you're just like you're you're setting that up in just sort of seed form what you're doing matt you're just taking too long like 20 years 
But you have a, I was, I, I, you know, now that you're describing what Doug has, it's like you have this congregation that loves you. You have a bishop that supports you. You have, you know, um, a, a place that no one's angling to um, unseat you from, you know. <laughs> so I think that's it. So you're, you can say what you want and, and however you want to say it. I think you got a pretty good setup there. Well, I mean, you know, it's not, I mean, I mean, Every whitey could be. I mean, you, that doesn't give you license to be immoral or anything like that. Well, for but, sure. Uh, but there's, but there's, a, but there is. I think there's a need for orthodox people to set up systems that sure. are immune to a woke mob, and and that's uh, yeah. I hope I hope I hope that's the way things are here. But um, I think that every rector of every ACNA church that's orthodox should try and set that up. Every bishop who has a diocese and has authority over that diocese should. Um, should try to establish uh, a, a sacrosanct area where they can no one can be canceled for violating the cultural religion of the day. Uh, but of course, the, who could who can be disciplined for violating the, you know, the scriptures in a consistent, defiant way? Well, um, I've got you know, I've, I think we do have we certainly have the system set up in the ACNA, and I think you and I are maybe you to a greater degree, but I'm I'm certainly with you in trying to. Um, uh, say things and exercise, I think, Christian muscles of, um, you know, proclamation and, and um, you know, what, uh, not future telling, but but pr- prophecy uh, to a certain degree. Um, uh, and I so far have not had any pushback. I mean, I've had people, people push back and say, you know, like, for instance, on the other day, I was explaining once again, that um, not everyone has to agree with me, but we as clergy in the ACNA, um, part of our canon and what we are sworn to uphold and follow is that we support life from conception to natural death. And I, I brought that up again in the Rector's Forum because someone asked me if that's something that they had to believe to join the church. And I said, well, you know, it's not in our bylaws that you have to agree with every single aspect of what the ACNA agrees um, to join our church. So so no, um, that being said, you, you're going to have to put up with me persistently, and I hope lovingly and with humility, although with good, great conviction, trying to um, right. convince you otherwise, uh, as long as you're here. <laughs> so I was like, so. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know, as long, go ahead. Sorry, you good? No, as long as you were talking tactics on, like, on a parish level, I mean, I, I do think it's worthwhile uh, if you are within a diocese that gives you the freedom to do this or that you, uh, or you're not yet in a diocese. Um, we had a we had a period of limbo where we weren't really connected to a diocese for a while. Um, and if you can set up bylaws that that establish standards for membership, like you you can't be a member and believe that two men can get married or two men can have a sexual relationship or two women. Uh, you can't be a member if you believe that killing babies in a womb is good. Uh, if you, I think that's that's worthwhile to go through and really establish tight membership protocols and especially when you're talking when you're talking about leadership. So if you can't do that for every member, at least do that for people on vestry, people who run for vestry, people who teach your Sunday schools, people who teach your your Bible studies and and home groups, they, they need to be held accountable to us uh to a, a um not just a basic level of of Christian belief but also into some of the more more detail some of the details right. that are right right now being challenged. Um right. Well, so, no, and, and I think yeah. I think in that case, you know, we we have th- this conversation. You know, we, the the way I've described recently our our membership, our leadership process is, you know, if you're going to sit on the back row the whole time and just come in and out intermittently, I'm, I don't, I can't really do much with you. But as you move, you move closer and closer. We're yeah. going to have 
more and more conversations about about these things because yeah, exactly. not everyone is going to be allowed to just be a leader without some fairly serious vetting uh, which is part of our responsibility you know i keep i mean i know you take that very seriously as do i that you know if this is the household of god and i'm the I'm the um, the head of that. Then you know what happens in the various rooms is is my responsibility, and um, and so I you know I know we share that, but I think um, you know I, I think in terms of tactics also, uh, just saying some of these uncomfortable culturally uncomfortable things out loud and and equipping your parish to then consider saying them themselves. Um, has been wonderfully fruitful uh, for me. And it's 100% in line with the entire reason the ACNA was founded. You know, like right. talk about the authority of scripture, you know, to totally reject any idea that somehow um, uh, these the rest of the New Testament letters other than the Gospels are not equally breathed as the word of God, you know. Right. Uh, talk about the exclusivity of Christ, like the idea that um, that we are we are genuinely worried with good reason by our unbelieving family and friends. Like that's what we and so, you know, would you like a class on you know, we'll go back and read the master plan of evangelism, you know, we'll go back and read, um, you know, we'll just learn and grow in our conviction so that we will be confident when we're asked, called upon to preach, you know, and then of course the big one, it's not really the big one, but they're all part of a whole, um, you know, obviously God's design for, for sex and marriage. I mean, if we weren't, I mean, we're living in a time which is an evincing, um, you know, an unbelievable, not just confusion, but a, but a destructive uh, mm -hmm. rejection and rebellion of God's purpose and plan for sex and marriage, you know, at every level. I mean, the destruction of the babies, the destruction of the value of women, um, the, the de-souling of men and the um, sort of the, uh, you know, and then, of course, just the destruction of, of the whole concept of men and women entirely. I right. mean, every single aspect of God's Yes, um, and good, and you know, and he saw that it was good is being uh, not just assaulted, but is being is being um, uh, ravaged. And so I think, you know, people are like, how do you get people into church? Well, you start speaking something true about their lives, and it begins to resonate in a way by thankfully by the power of the Spirit that brings them into, um, uh, you know, into into hopefully. Um, a saving relationship with Jesus. So right, right. I don't know we start preaching again, Matt. It's not if we don't <laughs> look out for it, but and it's unsurprising that with Nick not here cracking the whip, we've gone as long as we ever have before. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I um, I think I don't know. I, how do we end this? I'm going to edit this part out. But I think uh, do you want to do you want to take it on home? Uh, yeah, I mean, sure. I think that I think that the the as the notion of who of what and who human beings are uh you know we've made in god's image male and female is that is that notion has been just just whittled away we're going to have increasingly uh sharp sharp divides and disagreements within what's considered christendom even though maybe some people don't really <laughs> aren't really actually believing christians but they're those everyone within christendom because we're part of this culture um we're gonna we're gonna see the, uh, an increasingly you know, uh, tumultuous split between those who hold on to the biblical model of selfhood versus those who have embraced this this kind of new one. I think the the Josh Butler uh, imbroglio was was uh, was symptomatic of that of that divide, which is going to again get worse. So for those of us who hold to the traditional view, the biblical view. 
uh, it can be seen. It can seem overwhelming. It can seem. It can seem as if we're standing against uh, a mighty flood that's going to overwhelm us. But we we know the truth that in the end we're on the right side of history because Christ is is the is the sovereign over human history and he's going to establish his kingdom one day. So we just stand firm and hold uh, hold true to what we know to be true and don't fear the darkness and don't fear speaking um, speaking the truth and and let the woke mobs come as they may. Amen. Well, I'm going to channel Nick to say amen and amen. And so we're grateful for um, um, you, Matt, uh, and you're standing firm. And we will um, be back with you next week. Um, God willing, with Nick, I don't know if he's still in Hawaii or not, but um, <laughs> if if so, then it'll be us again. And we'll try to keep it under an hour next time. So uh, God bless you all. And until next week, we'll be standing firm. Oh, 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 oh,